Welcome back to the Off the Podcast Crossbar. Never mind. This is the TFL Podcast, episode 11. This week on the Off the Boss. Off the, I can't uh, even say it, Teddy. Jesus, man. Off the crossbar. You hit enough of them I with your head. I can't even Come say on. off the crime and hitting the head too much. Hey, this week, I'm super pumped. Um, I'm doing a whole West Coast swing here because I've had a, I've had the Americans, I've had the East Coast guys. They get tedious. Um, but let me tell you, the Western guys are grounded. It's God's country. And we go way out to the West Coast. We do the, uh, I think, as I was setting this up, the seventh uh, rated seventh ranked brother team on on uh, on Vancouver Island in Victoria. Oh, on Vancouver Island? Oh, come on! Now. I thought you were going to say the NLL. I was going to be like, appreciate. There's a question later. 10. We'll talk about later exactly where you guys yes. fall in the pantheon of brothers in lacrosse from Victoria. So, anyway, my my really good friends, long history uh, with with the older brother here, Freddie Jenner, and played together in Team Canada and, and uh, had him in a couple of teams that I had. Uh, you can see the jerseys behind him. Freddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, bud. Appreciate it, Stevie. Thanks, man. I, uh, I, this is my real first uh, opportunity to speak other than cars when I'm on camera. Very good. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Teddy Jenner, uh, otherwise known as Teddy Knight, Teddy Ballgame, Teddy... I don't know. He's got, he's got a bunch of aliases, right? So um, I'm not even sure what your mother calls you, but uh, son. Yeah. yeah. So excited to have uh, uh, Teddy Jenner, who is, is creating an illustrious career as a uh, national across league media personality. He's a play by play guy for the Colorado mammoth. Um, He is currently, um, and when this airs, we won't know, but he's, he's been nominated as media person of the year for the national across league. And, you know, congratulations if you won and you suck if you lost. So, so uh, we'll find out that this will air after we find out who wins. So welcome to the uh, show, Teddy. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it, Steve. It's nice to be on the other end of this conversation for once. So um, this is my first time on a low-rated podcast. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yes. The good news is you can say whatever you want because nobody's no listening. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean – it's uh look you gotta start somewhere at some point when i get my liquor sponsor here everybody's gonna want to come on i will say this i do hear from a lot of guys in the league that want to be on i get these texts from guys all the time asking why they haven't been on so you guys are on episode 11 and uh you'll always cherish the fact that that you got on before lots of other guys just missed the top 10 yeah but 11th overall was where i drafted was drafted so that's a good spot to be I guess the good news here is that most of the people that I care about, I shouldn't say that. Most of the people that are really important to me are, are the guys that I played with and played around and, and the guys that are in the league. Um, those are the guys that are listening to this. So it's low rated because, you know, fans don't care about the guests that I have. So that's more about <laughs> the, the issue here. But they tell me who put stop this... doing videos, Steve. What's you that? Stop doing videos. That's why. Why? Because if you put Freddie and I together, we make a quality-looking ass. <laughs> <laughs> Two bald guys. Exactly. Anyway, hey, just, set, uh, just set us in a bra and you're all good. There we go. Hey, uh, tell me who put the stick in your hand for the first time. For me, it would have been uh, probably way back when I was in North Vancouver. Uh, neighbor, neighborhood friends of mine, uh, uh, Jeff and Scott Ross and brothers. 
I lived down the street and uh, they were the ones that uh, put a lacrosse stick in my hand first. And wow. uh, so we, I played for the Sea uh, Caps in uh, North Shore. In the North no Shore. Kidding. Yeah. Did, so, so Teddy, did, was it the same person that put the stick in your hand or did, did no, it ultimately he, just become because brother your Fred, brother, was brother Fred put it in my hand. We're seven years apart. So um, he had a, a pretty good head start on me before I ever got started. But um, for all that he's ever told me, or my parents ever told me, I was always around him and his buddies whenever they were at the box. I was the little kid with the, the helmet that was seven sizes too big and the shorts that went down to his shoes and just running around chasing loose balls. But it was, it was every day hanging around with, with my brother and his teammates. What's surprising about that is you didn't end up being a goalie. Uh, I'm smarter. <laughs> Very smart. I'm very <laughs> smart. Very smart. Well, it always seems like the little brother always ends well, up. Well, yeah, but bullied. that's usually when the brother's like maybe one or two years. I'm like seven years younger. That's like a pretty big jump. So when he's yeah. 19, I'm 12. I'm not – 19-year-olds aren't going to be whipping <laughs> balls at a 12-year-old kid. So no. I don't know. Lots we, of guys. We were too busy jumping skateboards over your head. <laughs> that's right. I, I was laid down at the end of the jump as they went over me. So – you guys live in Victoria at this point. I know, I know uh, Freddie is an illustrious businessman selling a lot of automobiles, used car salesman from Victoria. Uh, but, and Teddy is, is in the lacrosse world. But talk about Victoria as a, as a lacrosse hotbed because there's not many places like it, right? I mean, you could go across the board to Peterborough, Orangeville, New Westminster, and Victoria, and, and there's probably lots of people that are going to argue that their town should be in this mix. But, but man, those are the four places, you know, that, that are really are steeped so much in tradition in lacrosse. Talk, talk about being from there and what lacrosse means in that community. Well, I think the biggest thing with, with our community is that, you know, we don't really have other teams to compete against when you're at that in the different you know, junior and senior levels, right? Like Nanaimo is our closest real rival because we're sort of on that Island, literally. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like where there's new West and, and, you know, new West is the exception, but Coquitlam and Burnaby and, and things like that. I think the biggest thing was, is that for a lot of our fans, because we were so close to our idols and the people that were we were watching playing as we were growing up, uh, it led to the fact that we could see these people in the grocery store quite frequently or the gas station or uh, businesses. And, and they I still kept coming? Of course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think the, the thing about us, right, is that, yes, we've had a pretty rich history, but we've all the, all the – for the longest time, when you grew up in Victoria, you ended up playing for Victoria. You weren't going to get, you weren't getting drafted to go play in Burnaby or, or you weren't getting drafted to go play somewhere else. You grew up and you played in Victoria. And I think that that held a, 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 a you know, the kids use it as a goal right now, but I think it, it was a big thing for us to say, I'm going to play for the Shamrocks one day. And there was nobody else you wanted to play for. Right. I think we had such a huge history of amazing lacrosse players that came way before us, you know, uh, Whitey and Kevin and, you know, Dean Shaw's and Dylan's and, you know, all these names, obviously the gates and things like that, but all these names before us, it created a culture that you wanted to wear that 
right? And you, you wanted to the play. right way. I was impressed. I know. I, I was actually. I'm surprised I did that myself <laughs> on Teddy, one try. Teddy, welcome was, no, back. That wasn't to the a second show. take. That was the first <laughs> time. <laughs> Teddy, well, thanks for coming to the show. It's it's yeah. nice to have you back. I haven't yeah. seen you in a while. Uh, I know. Uh, um, I think to to kind of go on what Fred was saying is, yeah, there weren't other teams that we could get drafted to or play for, but there were no other major teams. Like the Victoria Shamrocks are the draw in Victoria. We don't have. NHL or NBA or NFL or baseball or high-level soccer. The Victoria Shamrocks were the elite team in Victoria. Other than, you know, um, if they had, you know, the Victoria Cougars or the junior hockey where, you know, Grant Fear and the Cortinals were here way back in, in the early 80s and the late 70s. But if you went to a sporting event in Victoria, it was to go see the Shamrocks. And Memorial Arena back in the day was 5,000 people strong and it was just phenomenal to be a part of that as a young kid and like Fred said you wanted to grow up to be a shamrock so it's 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 pretty much in Canada among the top four markets for lacrosse in the country right yeah oh yeah there's no doubt about that so in that in that limited world because Canada is not very big and lacrosse isn't very big how is it that you guys are the sixth or seventh ranked brother group, you know, br- br- set of brothers in on the island alone? I mean, let's not even count Nanaimo, but like yeah, in, in Victoria. Victoria. Okay, well, hold on a sec. So the the Gates? Red group had the, the Peppers, the Gates, right. uh, the Blackwells. Like there was six or the seven brother groups. Yeah. The Hamiltons, right? Like, in that group, but that group, but it was even more. What's even crazier about that group is they're all the same age. Yeah. So they grew up playing like all the sports together, right? So I am well aware. I was on the other <laughs> side of that. You know that, right? <laughs> so I mean, like, yeah, you're talking about all these brothers that those ones, the Gates, um, like I said, the Gates, the Peppers, the throw in the Blackwells, but I'm going to put myself, we're going to put, I'm going to rank ourselves higher Thank than you. the Blackwells. Thank and you. I'm going to rank ourselves <laughs> higher than the Dennett's. Right. Yeah. But you know, you, you have that group of guys that, that, you know, they just, they just competed with each other, like on the playgrounds and the basketball, rugby, soccer, all that stuff together and lacrosse. Right. So those guys, you know, they were just, they were just monsters and athletes among themselves. But I would say that the nice thing was, again, as Ted said, there, there was no other game in town here for, for siblings to play for. You always wanted to play for the Shamrock. So then you start to get that sort of next level of generation where now you're potentially talking about the Kings for one, um, or, uh, you know, some brothers uh, moving down the line after this, we were talking about to the, um, well, I'll get, I'll get to my point. My point is that, you know, now now you're in an era where you can get drafted anywhere, right? And you just didn't have that when we were growing up. So I, I still I still want to say the top seventh brother combo. I'm, I don't know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's putting us a little low, I think. I do think in all seriousness, you know, th- those brothers played the game because you had somebody to play catch with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and ultimately, I mean, Victoria, it's, it's, we joke about it, but there are a lot of unbelievable players, much like Orangeville and, and even Six Nations, right, that have come out of a really small area. I mean, Six Nations is a, is a nation, right? They're, they're, a, 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 they're a, a nation that plays the game and, and the number of players that have come out of that small area. But Victoria definitely has to be up there in all seriousness. But um, talk about your pathway into the National Lacrosse League. How did you get – where you ended up going and and Teddy I know you know you went to Mercyhurst 
um, and, and went away to college and played with some pretty amazing players at Mercyhurst and, and guys that were legends in their own right in the game but and, and went on to amazing careers. And Patrick Merrill is oh, one of them. Just some guy you happen to know. Eh? Just that I one know, name you can pull up. Yeah, but talk about your pathway. Um, yeah, I, I went, like I said, I went to Mercyhurst, which was a, a D2 college in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I always knew at the end of the day that I wanted to take that into the National Lacrosse. It just so happened that um, my latter two years, Fred was up in Syracuse playing for the Smash. So I could go with my buddies. We could drive up to Buffalo, which is an hour away. Syracuse was two hours away. So we could get to a bunch of games and go watch. But um, after I got drafted, like, this is a crazy story. So my teacher and our assistant sports information director at Mercyhurst was Craig Rosinski, <laughs> who is the That's Rochester crazy. PR guy, the Rochester play-by-play guy. Um, one of the three guys nominated for the Brelli. He's a mentor of mine, an incredible friend. Um, but I really think that while Jody Gage and Paul Day kind of may, uh, may knew of me, it, I probably wouldn't have gotten drafted by Rochester if Ripper wasn't there. Because I have a feeling he said, you know what, this kid was at Mercer's. He's a great lefty, a goal scorer. He's a Canadian kid. And they obviously kind of, again, knew who I was. And that might have persuaded them. So I owe a lot of that to Ripper. And, and I actually called my first NLL game with Ripper when I was a healthy scratch in Rochester. So Did Ripper really call you a great lefty? So at, as, a, as a D2 lefty, yes. As a, <laughs> a D2, D2. Lefty. As a D2 lefty. From I just want to know. Freddie, was Syracuse Smash the worst name in the history of all sports names? No, no, no way. I'll the say worst no way. Name in the history of not only our sport, but maybe all sports. Uh, Charlotte Cobras? That's a great name. Oh. When you think of Cobras, what do you think of? Dodgeball. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Come on, man. No, actually, I didn't think of that, but now I will. Cobras were well – that was well before dodgeball. Oh, <laughs> uh, Freddie, what was your pathway? You're, I mean, you were you were Victoria guy, going to go into the family business. You know, how, how did you get into the NLL? So, like, I, I went a little bit different route. I went to um, um, Western Reserve Academy in high school. You know, Hudson, Ohio. So I played, I played uh, lacrosse in high school uh, as opposed to going away to college. And yeah, I kind of had the plans to, um, you know, get into family business and start running uh, the show here. Um, For those people that age. don't know, Ben McIntosh, Garrett McIntosh, yep. Western yep. Reserve Academy. Yeah, Hale well, Radcliffe right? went there. Hale Radcliffe, yeah. There's a, there's yeah, a few, there's, there's, a, a, there's definitely a few names out of, out of reserve. Um, but, uh, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to say about, you know, where I sort of started in the field side of things. And I loved the field game a lot, but, you know, being on the Victoria and the West coast at that time, there still wasn't a lot of guys uh, making the journey uh, into pro uh, other than obviously Gates, Marichek's and a couple of bunch of the guys from the, uh, the mainland it really wasn't around that 90 yeah, yourself, your, your 96, 97 era when it really started to kind of become a, an opportunity for East coast teams to fly in guys uh, from the West. And when, um, you know, the, the smash came around, um, you know, you look at our roster uh, that first year, we were basically the uh, um, 1997 Shamrock Man Cup champions uh, playing in, in Syracuse. You know, there, was, uh, there were a lot of guys off that team. And you guys uh, sucked that bad? What's that? You guys sucked that bad? <laughs> you were yeah, that, that, that different game. It was the turf, man. It slowed us down. 
I can't believe that team had so many. First of all, Paul Gate put it together, had so many yep. Victoria guys. Well, yeah, so Paul Gate, so he started, obviously was the, 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 the big influence of the whole thing. But then there was me, Del Holiday, Chris Pratt, uh, uh, Pepper, uh, Blackwell, Marty goalie? Yeah. Tapper, Marty O'Neill, uh, Doddridge. Like, yeah, we had – Jimmy Rankin had, was there. What's that? Jimmy Rankin was yeah, there. Jimmy yeah. Rankin, yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, we had – we had, we had like, How is that team not very good? That's what I'm saying. Uh, obviously, obviously, like I said, it was the turf. It slowed us down, man, and we didn't have oh. the memorial hot dogs, right? It was just one of those <laughs> things. So, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's uh, – it's that's – that's, you know, that's how I kind of got my start was that when they were building that franchise, obviously with the, with the, um, the influence of the 97 man cup coming around, you know, it was, Hey, when you're putting a team together, you're kind of looking at going, Hey, I can grab a bunch of guys from one area and away we go. And they're already know each other. They already have the, 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 uh, the chemistry, uh, a good foundation for a group, and then you kind of build that around. That worked from out that. well for them. Yeah. yeah no, you, you put all those guys in Syracuse in an apartment building. None of them have been away from Victoria probably for longer than a week. And they're all <laughs> in the middle of Syracuse. They got nothing to do. There's nothing to do during the week. Like, what do you expect? It's Syracuse. Yeah, they were Syracuse. They were going, they were drinking and going to dinosaur barbecue. Dinosaurs, yep. Every yeah. day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, so. When you obviously Teddy, when you went into your first locker room, there was a lot of guys you knew. But like, who who was your guy, Teddy? Who was your guy when you walked into the Rochester locker room? Junior, hundred percent, it was Junior, John Grant. I, I we lived in the same building together. We traveled to practices and games together. We hung out during the week. But I, I was just enamored with John Grant Junior. He was an I like we're like four years apart, but like the guy was what I wanted to be, and I think. Funny, Paul Day and Jody Gage always used to say that to me. They're like, "You're not junior. Stop trying to be junior." <laughs> and uh, and so I, I kind of got in trouble in my rookie year because I was trying to do junior shit, right? Like I was trying to bounce balls off the glass and throw backhanders from my knees. And I'm like, I'm just this punk rookie that you know should know better. But like, you know, I had Dewey Jacobs and the Miloski brothers and Tim Sudan and Reggie Thorpe and Pat O'Toole, Mike Hayes. Casey Zapp is probably. The, the other guy that I just really flocked to because he just carried himself with such an aura and such composure. But he could also walk on his hands. He just flip upside down and walk around the turf on his hands. I was like, how the hell does a guy do that? Casey Zaff, I know he was a gymnast. For those people that don't know Casey Zaff, one of, what the, a story. one of the greatest guys to play our game and the, the tragic end of his career yeah, for sure. um, was, was just – you know, Teddy, tell that story briefly. Yeah, just, from, I, I know we're here to have some fun, yeah, but, it, it was but it's worth story. talking about Casey's half. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, Fred and I were kind of joking earlier, you know, when he, when he said, you know, who was this guy we were going to talk about? And I said, just blame it on concussions. And, you know, he and I both kind of stopped playing lacrosse because we got soft heads and we've had our bells rung a bunch of times. Well, Casey's another one of those guys that kind of dealt with it and he was having headaches and migraines. And he went and saw a doctor and he just wasn't feeling right. And he went and saw the doctor and the doctor's like, I just don't see anything wrong with you. And as he was walking out of the doctor's office, he collapsed and um, he had major bleeding and in his brain. And he went through a whole process of, will he make it through it? 
And we're all incredibly happy that he has and that he's kind of back to doing normal things. He was, he's an incredible father. He was a teacher at Humber College, um, but he's getting back into the lacrosse world. I saw him at a, a Rochester alumni event a couple of years ago in Rochester and um, just an amazing guy. Uh, he would run through the wall for anybody. Um, and I was very blessed to, to be his teammate, but so happy that he's still around with us. Thanks for telling that story because, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're – this is all about trying to remember the past of our game and, and do it with a few laughs. But uh, certainly that was a tragic story for everybody, but glad it's it's had some level of happy ending and, and wish him all the best. Uh, obviously, uh, we've all had hits to the head uh, and we joke about it, but uh, it's nothing to joke about. And, and hopefully the rules in the league now are, are poised to break, you know, take care of those guys. But uh, Freddie, who was your guy? Who was your guy in your locker room with the, with Syracuse when you first started? Uh, I would it'd be a bit of a toss up between you know like uh, either you know obviously Paul Gate held the room without question, right? Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, he was saying and whatever he was talking about, I mean, obviously everybody kind of fell into that. And that was I joke of- about this, but did Paul, does Paul Gate get a bad rap? I don't think he gets a bad rap. No, I, I mean, I mean, it's all, everything's Gary that Syracuse is 22 and uh, everybody I, I, talks, talks about Gary Gate, Paul's the afterthought. No, I, th- I think I think in my opinion, I think what it is 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 Paul has always been a little as crazy as a little more quiet than than Gary, but he does he, behind the scenes is probably as much if not more than what uh, um, is happening with with Gary. So I know I think there's a lot to say about what Paul does behind the scenes, and and that's kind of the way he likes it, right? And Teddy, somebody wants a car. Yeah, I know, right? Teddy, can you have Freddie answer the phone and sell sell him a car? No, it's a it's a late night. I don't know why it's a it's a Vancouver number, anyways. I'm not going to pick it up. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you you talked you talked about um, a couple of the guys that you talked to earlier, um, um, you know, Marty O'Neill held the room pretty well too, and it was a guy that you were kind of respected because he was he was very meticulous in his X's and O's about what the, what he saw from a from a goalie's point of view. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I've always had the benefit of, of being involved in a bunch of uh, teams that have some really important guys that can hold locker rooms and are well-respected. So, so Syracuse shuts down. What, what was next for you after Syracuse? Uh, after Syracuse, uh, I went to uh, Philly uh, and um, went to uh, play for the Wings. You know, you get a guy like uh, Jake Berge. You get um, um, you know, a fellow like that. I get a guy like uh, Kevin Finneran. You know, so there's those those are you know some guys that uh, uh, that that you know um, they, they they play on the field and and they hold their own and you kind of want to emulate what they're doing and and again I always say that it's one thing to be talking in a dressing room but it's nothing to be doing it on the floor and those guys are always bringing it on the floor too. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. So, Teddy, you walk in, you're a draft pick, you got picked 11th, you go to the tryout process. It's different than what it was like at home because it was shorter, right? Tell, tell me about your first training camp experience. Um, it was a lot harder than I actually thought it was going to be. 
because I, I always thought I was kind of in shape. I was never a gym guy. I was never a weight guy. I just always got by with what I could do. And uh, my first year, I don't think I could put up 145 more than like three or four times. So I was like, the real, I was, I was embarrassed. Um, and you know, you watch guys like Andy Turner just throw it up as his warm up weight and he's just tossing around and I can't do it four times. So I really felt underprepared for that camp. I knew I could, and then I did the beep test and I'd never done a beep test before. And I never wanted to do one after that because it was the dumbest drill I'd ever seen. But it was a, at that point in time, it was the real gauge for how teams felt that you were in shape. And I found out that I wasn't in shape at all. Do you think the frosted tips had any impact on your training camp experience? You know what? I honestly – When you walked in the locker room and the guys looked at you – No, I didn't went, have it then. I didn't have it then. Come on. I had, I had a shaved no. head early on. I just started to let my hair grow, and I was bored, so then I started dyeing my hair. But honestly, like when I look back at it now, those first couple years in Rochester, I, I didn't take it seriously. I, I just – again, I thought I could just get by with my natural talent. You know, I live with Andy Turner. I live with Rodney Tapp, guys who went to the gym all the time, and I would just go and shoot hoops. I wouldn't work out. I wouldn't run on the treadmill. I'd just go and shoot hoops and, and have my exercise that way. And it, and it really cost me because even though I was behind some incredible lefties, like I said, Junior, Willie, Dewey, and Derek Milosky were the four lefties I had to be behind my first two years in Rochester. I wasn't getting in. The only way I got in was because Derek got suspended. Um, and so I played a couple of games while he was suspended and then I got in a couple others, but even my next year, um, when we lost Dewey, I, I just, I wasn't prepared because I just thought, you know, I kind of felt entitled. I kind of felt like, Oh, I'm the 11th overall pick. This should be my spot. I'm, I don't need to do any of that stuff. And, and it cost me because I got passed over by a lot of guys who worked a lot harder than I did. Isn't it amazing how Freddie and I played on team Canada in 98 dyed our hair right? Changed colors. And we lost our hair. I think because of that, we lost our hair. I think, yeah, yeah that's a good point. Let's blame that. Let's blame I, that. Yeah, I dyed my hair more than my brother did. <laughs> and I have a luscious head of hair that has regrown. I have so. a funny story. Chris Gill was on the, yep. the TFL podcast a couple episodes ago. And we didn't talk about this, but 98, all the Canadian guys dyed their hair. And the he tried like six times to get blonde hair out orange. of it. It turned orange. Oh, yeah. Orange. And it, because he had like deep black hair, right? And it was, yeah. it could have been the funniest thing. He tried and tried and tried. And ultimately it just stayed black and now it's gray, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, look, it, it, it was a lot of funny. Teddy, what was your pathway after Rochester? Like where, how did that go? Because I know you ended up in, in some pretty, yeah, I, 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 I became the expansion boy. I was the expansion boy for the National Lacrosse League. I went from uh, – I was golfing one day, and I got a call from Jim Brady out of the blue. And I I only knew Jim Brady from WLA slash OLA Man Cup meetings. And he had gotten control of the Anaheim Storm, who were moving from New Jersey. Uh, and he said, we just traded from you from Rochester. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. Cool, Anaheim. This is awesome. Let's do this. Did and you guys ever play against each other? Never. Nope. We, there was one opportunity when I was in Rochester, uh, and Rochester went to Washington. I believe that was the game that uh, Paul scored a backhander from the top on the power play in overtime to win it. 
That, that happened so many times. That, I don't yeah, know. that's just yeah, which game was that? Time I, it was. <laughs> and I was like, probably 2002 that happened. He that did was that so many times. Time, uh, that we would have it's had a chance. As, Washington Power is the same as my podcast. Nobody was there. So he yeah, was there to see it, so it didn't happen. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so I go to Anaheim, and I was there for one year. We went 1-15. Um, there was nobody in Arrowhead Pond. It was ridiculous. Um we it was just it was a gong show from day one we had missed flights they were supposed to fly us down i was supposed to live down there with cam bergman and steve evans and chris panos they never got us a house that they were supposed to um and we were brutal did you uh, ever meet jason williams or was he in jail no, by that was time? in new that was in new jersey when uh he shot his limo driver allegedly um, no, not allegedly. He actually went okay, to jail. Right. Not allegedly. You go to jail for it. It happened. Um, but you know, you know, we it was such a gong show that and I, our gloves still said New Jersey Storm on. They, we didn't get new gear. Like they just kind of did as minimal as possible. Um, and then I got then Marty O'Neill picked me up in Minnesota, uh, and we had a great year in Minnesota. I think the league should go back there. Uh, that was an incredible fan base that loved us from day one. And then uh, the next year, Marty traded, traded me to Edmonton, and I was reunited with Paul Day, uh, and we went 1-15. So uh, I had some pretty what fun do you years. Think, what do you think your team. collective record was after Rochester? 1-15, uh, 1-15, so that's 2-30. <laughs> uh, then we went, I think, 4-11 and 11 in Edmonton our second year. And Minnesota, we were like six and twelve or something, or six and eleven in Minnesota. We were pretty good. We made the playoffs in Minnesota that first year. That's because every team in the league made the playoffs. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably true. But you know, we, we had some. There were some real lean times um, in Anaheim. Minnesota was wicked. We had a great. That was that was probably the most fun I had was that group in Anaheim with like Ryan Cousins and Scott Campbell and Darcy Berthume and. Uh, Ryder Bateman and Kelly Hall were my Victoria buddies and we were all traveling together. So uh, that was kind of like Fred Syracuse smash was when we were all, cause Marty, you know, Marty was the key cog in it all again, brought all those Victoria guys there. And, um, we had a time, but I thought Edmonton was, was a really cool spot to be cause I'm a huge Oilers fan, like my brother and our, most of our family. So to be able to play Northlands Coliseum and see all the names, you know, etched in this inside the bench rails was a pretty cool experience. I'll tell you what, I, I agree with you. I'd love to see Minnesota back in our league. and I'd, I would love to see Edmonton back in our league. I, I think those are two markets that, uh, that really would have an opportunity to excel under the right opportunities with ownership and, and support. And, and I think there's fan bases both in those cities. So I would, I would welcome the opportunity to go back there. So, Freddie, you played in Philly – and I know you ultimately find your way to, to a team in Washington. And, and you know, along the way, uh, you and I crossed paths again, and you started to play uh, for the teams that I was associated with. And uh, obviously, I loved having you around. You were, you were a huge crowd pleaser. But I do remember one moment uh -oh. that, that, for me, defines Freddie Jenner as a not as a player, but as a character in the game. And there was a lot of those moments because I was a huge fan of you and huge heart. And uh, I love, I love Freddie Jenner. I was a big fan of Freddie Jenner when he played the game, big fan of him now too, but. Oh yeah. Thanks. My favorite moment was a playoff game in Toronto 
and scores a goal in, in the ACC and, you know, the new building, and we've moved on from Maple Leaf Gardens, but the Toronto Rock were still a huge draw, 18,000 people in the Air Canada Centre. You scored one of the early goals of that game and then shushed the crowd. And like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that was a good shushed. moment to do that or not. because Well, it turned uh, bad after that. Yeah, it turned bad afterwards, that's for sure. It was – uh, like one of the moments I just I, – I will never forget that visual and watching that film. And what was going through your mind in, with 18,000 people and, and you were going to shush the crowd? Man, you know, it's probably the, the biggest problem of me is that, you know, I don't care how big somebody is, I'll try and run through you, right? I don't care how big a crowd is, I'm going to try and shush you. And I think that's kind of the, the, the heart that I have of the whole sport is that I just want to do whatever I can for my team. And uh, if it means trying to shush that Toronto crowd, uh, because I, if there's one team that I can't stand, it was the Toronto Rock. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I needed to get our team pumped up. I needed to get our guys going. And I think, you know, you kind of you kind of do things that you don't even really realize what you're doing, and then you see it on video and film after, and you go, "Man, what was I doing?" But that was it, man. Like that was you just you just take that moment and you just want to grab it and just hold on to it forever. And I'm just I, I still I still I, and my brother, he made a uh, was it for my birthday or was it I can't yeah. remember what it was for, but he, he's I've now have that little uh, what are they gifts gifs whatever yeah, the kids call them these days gif I have that little moment video. Uh, that I can text out, I can. I, I can would send like to any- you send that to me because I will. I'll it longs. It's that 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 was etched in my history of this game is that moment with with the Washington Power glove on STX glove. Yep. Later to later in that game, which is I think that the moment that Teddy was probably worried I was going to tell the story of is I think you hit the crossbar in overtime that would have sent us to the finals. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was the one where I did uh, hit the crossbar. At least, uh, yeah, I think I faked low and shot low. Or I, uh, yeah, there was there was a moment that I uh, had a chance, and it was just whoops, nope, that didn't there work. Was, it's one of the. It's another moment etched in my brain that the Washington Power, the the lowly Washington Power that was trying to grind their way through, and we'll talk yeah. about that team in a we, second. But we were on a before you move on. But we were because I was in Rochester at the time, and we were on a bus traveling from Rochester to Albany to play Albany in the, se- in the semifinals. And we had the game streamed on someone's phone or something like that. So we got to listen to the overtime when Blaine Manning scored that goal and, and, and sent the rock on. But I remember being on the bus listening to that game as it happened. I'll tell you what, it was that game, we two years in a row for the Washington Power losing to the Toronto Rock. I think it was both overtimes and it was both in the Air Canada Centre heartbreaking for us because we thought we had pretty good teams that were, you know, I mean, kind of manufactured out of thin air for the most part, because the teams in in their place in Pittsburgh weren't great. Um, They came from the Baltimore thunder and, and ultimately put together what I thought was, was a really good team. But that moment where everybody covers Paul gate, (laughs) On a six-on-five scenario, everybody <laughs> covers Paul Gate. The net's empty in the other end, and and the ball goes to Freddie, and it's like, oh my God, we're gonna win! Oh. Hey, we're gonna win! No, and don't the put, ball don't went put off that the crossbar, went out of bounds, the game ended. <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, went to overtime. Yeah, sorry, there's no question in there. That was just a, that was just me <laughs> reliving a really terrible scenario. But anyway, 
Talk about I the don't Boston trust me. I, I have, I have, I still have lots of uh, Toronto uh, rock nightmares too. So that's, that's okay. A quick break. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. If you've been listening to our channel for a while, you know that we are big fans of Manscaped and their Perfect Package Essentials Kit, which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18-plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Body Trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. I think because I came in, um, I came in uh, second game in after that because I didn't get into the Buffalo game, which was the first game. So I came in, um, that was the year that I was uh, playing for the, or I tried out for the Ravens and, uh, and then got cut right at the end. Uh, and, uh, and then you that was brutal, by the way, you gratefully gave me the uh, opportunity to, uh, to get all the way to the East coast and play. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, you, 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 what you said there was exactly right. You had guys like myself and a few other guys flying in from the West. You had a few guys flying in from uh, Toronto and Ontario. You had a couple of guys that lived in the Baltimore area. You had some other guys in the Washington area that lived there. So it was definitely an eclectic grouping of, of players from all aspects and all different areas and different backgrounds. And to be able to bring them together and the way that Kilgore was able to kind of get us all to um, to see the common goal and kind of forget about where we were all kind of coming from. Uh, I think that that, as you sort of said, was kind of the onset to where a lot of the teams are kind of looking at now and how they do have fly-ins from different areas, primarily because that's kind of the way that the league has gone now. But I, I, I believe that it set the tone for, you know, uh, of, of being able to kind of put all the differences aside of what, whether you're Canadian or American or whether you were um, an offensive guy or defensive guy, or whether you're an Ontario guy or BC guy, it, it, you kind of forget about that and you put the red Jersey on. You're like, Hey man, we're, we're, we're power. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was another it was, of the worst names in yeah. the history of the national lacrosse league. I remember uh, a play in, we played when I was in Rochester, we played in Philly. And my dad came and saw our game. It was the first time I ever played. And it was in Philadelphia. And then the next morning, we drove down to Washington to watch you guys play. I think you guys played, might have played Calgary. And I could walk around the entire arena and see maybe four people. <laughs> that was the quality Ugh. marketing and sales. And it was like Continental Airlines Arena? The juggernaut of sales and marketing people that I put together. It's the saddle dome of the USA. Yeah. Well, we played in the MCI Center the first right. year. That's what it was. Okay, yeah, right, right, right. And the yeah. MCI Center uh, is now, I think, the Verizon Center in, in Washington, D.C., yeah. uh, where the Caps and the, and the Wizards play. And, and if, uh, if you remember correctly, 
um, our first weekend. I think it's the only time it's ever been done in the National Lacrosse League. Our first weekend that we played as the Washington Power was on the 30th and the 31st of December at home at noon on both days. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was the start of my career in Washington. Those were the dates that we had. And the hockey team played later that day. So you, play, you paid 50000 bucks in rent if you played the same day as, as a hockey game. And you paid $75,000 in rent if you played uh, a, a standalone game. And so we had these two dates where hockey was playing a back-to-back or whatever thing they were doing. And it was New Year's Eve later that night. We played Toronto on the first day. We actually had like six or 7,000 people. And then the next day, uh, we had like uh, 14. And <laughs> on New Year's Eve on, at noon in Washington, D.C. And it was literally Saturday and Sunday. We played fr- Saturday and Sunday on the 30th and 31st. And I, I got to tell you, it wasn't – it didn't go, let's say, uphill from an attendance perspective yeah. from there. And not uh, many teams have the, had back-to-back home games since. No, nobody. Yeah. Never happens. I, don't, it's, I think we've seen it once from a – there was like a Friday-Sunday, and I can't yeah. remember who it was. Yeah. But I don't think anybody's ever done that, and I certainly don't think anybody's ever done it from a uh, uh, an afternoon start. So <laughs> – that's Washington. the only that's the only arena that I've ever played in, and that includes like WLA games where there's not very many fans. That's the only arena that I've been on the floor and I've heard a conversation in the stands from fans. <laughs> you can actually hear them talking, so that, like, there's nobody in there. Yeah. What's really a bummer about that is that team was fun. That team was totally. good. It was exciting. It was uh, it was it was a fun fun team to be around. Teddy, tell me about your transition from playing into broadcasting. Um, uh, I tell the story because it's kind of funny. When Shaden Santos and Colin Doyle had Rude Boys Lacrosse, um, yeah. the website back in the late 90s or the early 2000s, um, I already – like I was a, a communications major at Mercy here, so I always knew I wanted to go into sports broadcasting and journalism and all that stuff. So I asked them to, if – if I could do some writing for them. And so I was still in the WLA and I was writing um, a column under a pseudonym. So nobody would know it was me. Um, was that Teddy Knight? No, I was Jar Jar Dinks. Um, <laughs> Wait a second. You've got another <laughs> alias that I didn't know about. Yeah. Um, so I went, so I, uh, I wrote under the alias of Jar Jar Dinks. Um, and I wrote WLA like weekly recaps and game reviews and stuff like that. And then, um, like I said, when, when I was in Rochester, I wasn't playing a lot. And so I needed something to do. So during the week I worked with at the arena, building in-game videos and stuff like that. And then on road games, I'd, I'd hang out with Ripper in the broadcast booth, taking stats or just watching the game. And we happened to be going to Ottawa and I was a scratch and he said, Hey man, you want to do color with me? And I said, absolutely. And that was the first game I ever called. It was unbelievable. And I was hooked ever since. And once, once I stopped playing after my second year in Edmonton, I was calling WLA games for the Shamrocks. And I was calling Minto games in Vancouver. And I, I just got my feet wet and I enamored myself with calling every level of lacrosse that I could. And um, I owe pretty much where I am now is, is to a, a tweet that you sent to me. 
after a Shamrock game and a phone call we had the next morning and, and got me to Colorado to call Mammoth games. And it's been an incredible journey ever since. And I absolutely love it. And I wouldn't be doing anything else in the world if I was offered it. Well, I know your contract's up soon and you're looking, to, <laughs> looking to move to Southern California and, you know, none of those guys at the Mammoth watch my show anyway, so this isn't tampering. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So I think my contract's anyway. over. I'm a year-to-year contract, so I believe I'm a free agent. Teddy. I believe. Freddie. Freddie. Teddy. Whatever. My Freddie. story. Molly does it too. Tell me your best Dell Halliday story. <laughs> I have to narrow it down to one? Is it the one where he lost a nut? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me your best uh, Del Halliday story because Del Halliday, who is also a TFL. Yeah, not many people know Teddy Jenner, the TFL, or sorry, Del Halliday, the, the, the uh, everybody knows Teddy. Not many people know Del Halliday, the TFL from the National no. Cross League. Well, if I, if I want to tell a story, I, I mean, probably the, the, the biggest story probably would come from the fact of the outside of lacrosse. And it would be the fact that of all of the group of guys that we kind of played with and hung around with, like Dell really never knew what he wanted to do. Like he just, he just wanted to play lacrosse. He just wanted to do all the, th- the things, right? And he never, we never really knew what Dell did either. He did summer jobs here and there and just kind of whatever. And then the next thing you know, like fast forward to now, and the guy basically runs and owns a massive vineyard up in the uh, interior of BC. It's not even and, a vineyard, it's an orchard. Well, a vineyard orchard, I both. mean, it's it's both. But I mean, you, know, you talk about a guy that probably, how would a guy know how to, you know, smush berries with his toes, and the next thing you know, he's creating these amazing wines. Uh, but, you know, that's not really a funny story, because there's probably way too many of their funny not, stories not that I forgot. Story, but, but we should we should make sure that we talk. It's Elephant Island wines. Elephant Island wines, wines absolutely. It started out with a lot of, of fruit, right? Dessert wines and stuff yep. like that from the Naramata bench up in uh, up in British Columbia. Yep. So those of you that did we just did we just get to show a sponsor? Get to support <laughs> get to support Del Halliday and Elephant Island wines and and he, he was an amazing player at every level of the game, but yep. I know you guys were pretty close and um, a little shout out to our buddy Dell, who's, who's yeah. up in Okanagan. I think the losing nut story is the funnier story of the two stories though. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Hey, I mean, take a, you take a shot in the, the balls. Well, yeah, you take a shot in the balls. You're going to lose one of them. <laughs> it sounds a little like Nick Asello who did the same thing for oh, the, yeah, he did. the San Diego seals here. Uh, he did the same thing in a practice and, you know, he gets hit, and I walk over to him, and I, I'm like, get up. Like, get up. He finished practice because he didn't want to look like he was soft, which I think Dell did some of the same thing. And we all kind of were like, yeah, you know, just get up and play. And so, you know, he they go to the hospital, and sure enough, their one testicle is the size of a grapefruit. And yeah, no, there's, now, there's, there's, now, a, there's a lot of good stories. There's a lot of good Dell Holiday stories, that's for sure. And Del Halliday is now a uniball. 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 Yes. Uniball. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, hey, who would you put in the M-I-L-L Hall of Fame that's not there? And, Teddy, I know you, you've – So is this M-I-L and talk about this? Are we, like, joining them all together? Yeah, you throw them all together. So the early days that is not in there today, and obviously knowing that John Grant and Sean Williams and all yeah. those guys are going to go in, 
But okay. somebody that nobody would expect. Who would you put Ooh. in there? Um, okay, I got I got three. I got three guys that I think should go in that aren't in. Uh, M-I-L-L days, I want Ricky Soule in. Okay. Um, N-L-L days, I want Casey Powell in. Ricky Soule, just so everybody kind of remembers, right? And you, I know you had him on your podcast recently. It was a very good one. Mm-hmm. And certainly with current events, probably should revisit. People should re- go listen to that again right now because I think it's appropriate. But Ricky Soule is one of the first black players in the National Lacrosse League, in the major indoor lacrosse league, uh, and and certainly put his mark on the game. And there was there was a number of others that that should be recognized, but but Ricky Sewell probably one of the very first guys in our game uh, of color and that that created a level of diversity. Yeah. So Ricky Sewell's one. Uh, Casey Powell's two. The only American to be named MVP of our league. And uh, number three is Reggie Thorpe. Probably no, he, he took my name, man. I know. God. The, the probably one of the best American defenders to ever play. Well, my, my comment was if you're going to have Patty Cole, you have Reggie Thorpe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly complement each other on either 100%. side of the border, but, but Toronto plays Rochester, you know, as many times as they played. Well, back in the, the day, four times a year. Heated battles and rivalry that they had, right? It was, you know, Pat Coyle, obviously, was, was the brand name for the defense on one end. And Reggie Thorpe was the brand name for for the other defense on the other side. And I would agree with that a whole, wholeheartedly. I got to play against him a number of times, and and certainly, you know, he had a, a short career as a head coach in in New York. But I'm sure he'll surface again, and and uh, and he will will be part of our uh, part of our league again, and and uh, look forward to seeing that. But um, who who's your favorite NLL head coach? Uh, only probably because I had him twice was Paul Day. Um, he just – he understood how to communicate with players, but he also made practices fun. He made being a part of the team fun. And then he would turn the switch and make sure that everybody was ready to go on game days. And um, he really taught me a lot about, about being a professional athlete and being a professional lacrosse player. And he was just fun to be around. And now that I'm in the position that I am and, and where he is with Peterborough and, and um, in Philadelphia, I can – talk with him more and he just continues continues to impress me with every step that he takes in his journey i you know i i, I probably didn't have enough consistency in my coaching that uh, um, to kind of pick one over the other but you know i i i respected Darius kilgore very much um, um because the way that he coached was the way that he played and it was a it was a a, a, a no bullshit kind of um, coaching style, but the passion that he brought um, when he was coaching, you knew that that was coming from a place that isn't just about uh, X's and O's. It's a, it's, it's about, um, you know, bleeding for the other guy and doing what you got to do for the other guy. And I, I, I personally hold that as a huge, you know, I, I, X's and O's are one thing and, and, and tactical is another thing, but getting somebody to go through a brick wall for another guy, that, that takes a lot. And there was a lot of character within Darius um, that, uh, that I appreciated and looked up to, you know, in my massive coaching um, um, big picture, you know, I know that I never got to a, a 
be a part of him in uh, the, the pro league, but Chris Hall um, probably was um, um, the, 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 my, the coach that I probably um, have the utmost amount of respect for in the grand scheme, a uh, grand scheme of lacrosse in general. And, um, so I have a great Chris Hall story that I literally just told earlier today to one of my colleagues here in the office and, and, I'm not going to go into massive detail, but you guys all know Ward Sanderson, who was part of the, Hands. the Colorado yeah. Mammoth organization uh, for a while, Vancouver Brards legend. Um, he definitely is a TFL. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of the day, we're beating Calgary in the 2006 last regular season game, and it was like a, a blowout. It was 17-7, and – and things got out of hand late in the game, and it was got ugly, and you know there was there was a number of kind of shenanigans going on, and and Ward Sanderson comes out of the press box, walks pat like goes all the way down in Calgary, goes into the locker room, and back in the day in Calgary, the locker room was weird because everybody walked through that back alley, and so it was like nobody you know really worried about it, but it's since changed, but ultimately. You know, Ward gets on the elevator, goes down there, goes through the tunnel, walks out into the bench. You know, he's not allowed on the bench, but he's walks down on the bench, walks past Gary Gate, walks past Russ Hurd, and he stands at the glass. And all he does, he just stands there holding onto a stick and he's staring at Chris Hall. And he's not watching the game. He's looking like the game's happening over there. He's looking out straight at Chris Hall's side of his head. And he was just basically <laughs> ear fucking him with his eyes because he was so freaking pissed off that Chris Hall was sending guys out after our guys that he, he just stood there and was trying to intimidate him. It was quite funny. I'll never forget that. Uh, Ward Sanders. That's Ward Sanderson for sure. I just, he, yeah, you're right. I mean, he could he could stare melt you just with his eyes, man. Yeah, he was a break your hand. So the talk hand. about Teddy, or sorry, Freddie. Talk about the Colorado Mammoth for a second because you went there in the transition from the Washington Power from Baltimore to to Denver. It was our first launch of the franchise. You were there right yeah. from the very beginning. Tell me about your first experience, that first game against the Toronto Rock. Well, I mean, you, you talk about polar opposites of, of not, not players, but you talk about polar opposites of, of, of crowd and atmosphere and what you're getting for entertainment value. You know, like I said, you, you go from being able to hear have people in the stands having conversations to rolling out with uh, Harley Davidson's in the opening game and fireworks and just the amount of electricity in just the stands um, was was miles apart, and I think that that portion of getting, you know, Philly was probably my first real experience when I played in Philadelphia of what it was like to play in front of fifteen, sixteen thousand fans. I still get chills thinking about that, but there was a different atmosphere. Philly had all the history behind it. Colorado was just pure raw. Like nobody kind of knew what to expect because this was like all new and, and it was still such an amazing feeling that I, I don't know. I still don't know how to kind of put it into words because it wasn't, it wasn't as um, traditional and it didn't have as much tradition as Philly did, but 
the raw emotion and the raw excitement of what was happening, you just knew it was the perfect setting for lacrosse in that town. Teddy, you obviously watched that because your brother's playing there and now you're, you're kind of, you're in the booth there now and it is a little different scenario now, but, but, you know, talk, talk about what your experience was as you watched your brother play in that environment as a lacrosse guy. Yeah. You know, well, I, I got to play there too, right? When, when we were in Anaheim, we played in Colorado. I was there. I was on the floor for the first ever soft trip. And I, I'll never forget that moment. And I will say this. We played Anaheim. The, the only time that we played Anaheim in Colorado was the only time that I actually started drinking in the first quarter in the press box in my little booth because we knew we were going to kick the piss yeah, out of you. You did kick the piss out of us. But, <laughs> you know, that was – you know, that, that was a moment that I'll never forget just because, like Fred said, it was raw emotion. They'd never – and I've talked to people who, you know, were working that, like, okay, three goals. What I, I think you might have told me this story. Three goals, what happens? Uh, three ha- throw hats? We don't throw hats in lacrosse. Well, what do you do? I'm like, six goals? What happens if a guy gets six goals? Socks? Sure. And then we just started throwing their socks. And I'm sure you had a bit of a piece of it, and Willie B had a bit of a piece of that trying to figure out what the hell to do. But that was just, you know, I always say this. Lacrosse will always work if you make things your own. And Colorado has made their atmosphere their own. And now that I get to be at the top of it and hear all that noise reverberate from turf level all the way up to the top of Mount Loud, and I sometimes can't hear Jamie or myself talking when Colorado goes on a run. And you know what? I want to make sure that we give full credit to the person that came up with the sock trick, and her name is Karen Woods. Nice. Karen Woods, it was her idea, and she walked up to me and she goes, hey, we should do this thing when, you know, you score six goals. And I go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it's <laughs> now the thing I've ever heard. You should never do that. And that, that just, never that do just, it, but it's awesome. That just, solidifies, was, that just solidifies your great idea uh, momentum there, doesn't it? Uh, uh, well, you know, I said my great idea was, okay, with six goals, the women should wiggle out of their bras and pull it out their arms like they do and throw the, and have a bra trick. But well, nobody was buying into that. Nobody well, really? That's surprising. That. That, that's that's surprising. why the hot tub's not around anymore, Steve. Yeah. I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> and everybody I, wants the hot tub to come back, by the way. I got rid of the hot tub because – I know, because the nip slip. The hot tub, the best hot tub story was Dan Dawson. Dan Dawson, the All-Star game. Yes. In the 04 All-Star – not 04. It was 09 All-Star game. Unbelievable. Dan Dawson scores a goal, runs out the bomb, and he's gone and comes back, jumps to the hot tub with all his gear on. All his gear on, yeah. So, and he so, asked me if it was okay if he did it. And I said, <laughs> sure, you can do it. And he goes in there. He's got his shoes on and all this other stuff. And he goes, well, I can't play anymore. He literally – Sat in the hot tub for the entire fourth quarter. I know. I remember that. Oh, yeah. God. So, you know, the, the Colorado experience is something phenomenal. And being able to be the voice of the mammoth now and, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of an egotistical dream come true to be able to watch all these goal clips and hear my voice and, and to, to watch all these games and go back and to see how passionate mammoth fans are. Um, it's incredible. It's just one of the best parts about the National Lacrosse League as a fan. It's a pretty special uh, experience in Colorado, and if you you know if you ever listen to this and you haven't been to a game, you got to go uh, to a Denver game. And and anywhere you are in the National Lacrosse League in one of the cities, Denver's got to be on your bucket list to go see a game because it's 
fun place. And I would welcome anybody that wants to come to San Diego as part of that bucket list, you know, because you got to come see San Diego as oh, well. Yeah. I spent a whirlwind 24 hours there, um, and I had a blast. We stayed right at that marina. What is it? Uh, marina on the Bay or something like that, right down there by the arena. Um, it was gorgeous, and the weather was phenomenal. Your arena needs a touch bit of work. There's not a bathroom. You got my producer laughing. He's this the first time he's laughed out loud. (laughs) Um, It was funny because I was in Vegas before we went to the San Diego game, and it was like going to be two weeks later. And I saw a couple of your staff members. So yeah, I'll see you in in San Diego in a couple weeks. Like, have you been to our arena yet? I'm like, no. They're like, I'm like, I've heard great things. Like, okay, people are lying to you. (laughs) <laughs> we, we are we are going to fix that i promise Thank you. you we're Thank working you. on it put so. a bathroom by the broadcast booth doug locker can't last four quarters <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> i know another quick break coronado brewing company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the seals enjoy fan favorite orange avenue wit and their new salty crew blonde ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you stay coastal cheers so i want to do something i do with everybody and and i throw a few names out there and i just want a quick reaction uh, you know and so i'll start with with a name i know both of you guys know you Played with, watched him. Um, Brian Langtree. Oh, um, crazy eyes. <laughs> crazy legs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a wild man. That guy just was 100% ball full of energy, and he still is. Yeah, the guy, the guy just flies around. Like, he's just million miles. Like, we, <laughs> this is going to come across funny, but it's the old, the old slogan, right? Fast jet, no pilot. <laughs> 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 that's the best line ever. Uh, Wait, that's that's the best line ever. Kevin Alexander, uh, the great. He yeah. was uh, terrible looking in spandex. Um, loves his sarsaparilla, and one of the funniest guys I know. Probably the probably the epitome of do as I do. Yeah. Right, and you know. He, he, if, if you're not going to, if you're not going to sacrifice, then get off the team. And he was, he was, he was all that. He was all of that and more. Dallas Elliott. Unbeatable. I, I don't know how many shots. My first ever NLO goal was on him. I don't think I beat him after that. <laughs> um, the most uh, unorthodox goal I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Patrick Merrill. Oh. Uh, chicken legs. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill him a million times. You don't know who Patrick Merrill is. <laughs> uh, I we, were at, we were at Mercier's together. We called him Chicken Legs just because that's just how he ran. But um, intelligent, professional, and going to be an absolute great, great longtime coach in our league. You have an absolute gem, Stephen. He's, he's just, he's just a tight. I mean, the reason why I wanted to kill him was just because the guy, the way that he played was just hard nosed and the way that he went through things was just amazing. Paul Telmo, <laughs> the dude. Um, That's the one was, where I said who? <laughs> yeah, that was the guy Fred didn't know. Um, I was with Talmo in Anaheim and all I remember is he was like, he looked like a, an, he looked like an old man, but like you knew he was the fittest guy in the room 
And when you walked around with him and the Sombrado brothers, you knew nothing bad was going to happen to you because you were walking with made men. <laughs> the, the Sombrado brothers, just for, the, the, for everybody's edification, the Sombrado brothers brought to the National Lacrosse League the opportunity for our, the PLPA right. when it was created uh, in, in 93, 94, in around there. They were uh, vying for the opportunity to have it be a Teamsters local. So the players' union would have been a Teamsters local. Can you imagine? Uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure the league would be around today. Uh, but, yeah, Caleb Toth. Clutch. Yeah. Um, one of the hardest shots ever. Yeah. Um, and probably in junior had the biggest butt end on a stick I've ever seen. He probably put seven yep. rolls of tape on the end of his stick and it was bigger than the bottom of his glove. It was huge. But that guy, that guy was a Jerome McGinley of, of lacrosse. Wow. I always, he always played with a smile too. I don't know. I never how that happened either. Yeah. He was just a happy kid. Hugh Donovan. <laughs> I still, uh, when I think of Hugh Donovan, I still think of the face off. <laughs> that who, story was told the other, the other day, but t go ahead. I, I can't remember who, who was it. Who was it? The who we were playing. Who we were playing? Buffalo. Uh, a pretty. I I think it was Drew. Can no, Drew Candy. I can't Drew remember Candy who it was. But opening opening face off him and. Um, I think it was Drew Candy. Yeah, maybe. Just I could dropped have been wrong. and went. Yep. Because the refs yeah. didn't know what to do. Because they'd never yeah. seen these two guys at the front face off. They're like, why are these two guys here at the face off? <laughs> right? They're, they're, they're giants. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, the, the, if I'm not mistaken, the one ref went to go and line up the face off. He saw these two guys there. He stopped and pulled back and went back to the other ref and said, Am I supposed to drop the ball here or what? And went back and dropped the ball. And these guys didn't touch the ball. They just stood up and went. Actually, I think it was brothers. Who, there were two brothers. See, I'm gonna, this is going to bother me now that we don't remember this on the air that I the wasn't there other no. guy in the story, but we'll figure it out. Uh, Marty O'Neill. Oh, he, like, uh, uh, I said, I said, it, I said it before, but man, that, like if you talk about a guy as a tactician an X and O's type of guy, he, he, he was so, he was so finite in everything that he does, you know, obviously from the way he played goal to the way that he you know, ran some of his business stuff like that. He was just very, very precise and finicky. Um, he lived across the street from my good buddy uh, and his brother, who also brother NLL brothers are the Hebner oh, yeah. brothers, Tyler Hebner's. Dolan Hebner. Um, they oh, lived across wait. the street from Marty O'Neill. We got to mark them. We got to put them on the yeah. list. Oh yeah, they're they're they're, they're right below behind us. us. They're right they're below us. Well, they're, they're right below you. Okay. They're right behind us. Yeah. Um, but you know, Marty had you know Marty had Tapper and Doddridge and all those guys stay at his house. They had all the all the Shamrocks were always over there. And so guys like Tyler and Nolan and myself were always in their backyard just playing pickup lacrosse. And, and Marty was always a giver of his time, and he still is now making equipment and, and, and helping with, with the goalies of the future. And um, he's a little dry, but the guy can speak his mind, and he, and he has a really good pulse of what he does. Like his articles, whenever he writes his articles for Inside the Cross, they're always some of the best articles that they put out. And he, he really is in tune with what the game's going through. So I close the show every every episode. I ask this question, and and I think it's it's appropriate because there's so many stories in our league and in our game 
that I think should be told, and and one day we might tell them. But uh, there's great documentaries that we could tell uh, throughout the sports world, but in lacrosse, there's few. But I I love to compile uh, the stories of the TFLs that join the show, and and I love to hear – Freddie, what 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 thirty for thirty story would you tell? Well, I don't know. I, I was thinking about that when you when you posed it the other day, and I was like, man, I, I I don't know how I could come up with a thirty for thirty on some of the stuff that I went through, but or some of the stuff that I know about. But I, I think one of the biggest things for me was how how and it's probably still a little bit how many of our guys, as they are guys, all the guys have played left work on a Thursday or a Friday morning, flew two, three, four, six hours, however many hours to get to a location, practiced, busted their butt for two and a half hours, three hours, playing lacrosse, bleeding, doing everything you possibly could, and then parting her asses off <laughs> and then hopping back on a plane to be able to go back to work Monday morning. There's something to say about the truth of what we did to just play the game and how guys before us played the game for $49 paychecks and basically played for the love of the game. It was 83 bucks. $83. Like there, there's a story there and I just don't know how to put it. Oh, you do. You put it well, man. That's there's no question. That's a story. And, uh, and a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that will tell the same story and, and we'll talk about the love for the game and, and how, the yep. game of box lacrosse became ingrained in them. And you go back into so many people that we all know and, and the names of our past. And, you know, Teddy, you talked about Ricky Sewell and a, and a number of those guys that started out early on in this process. And they did it because they loved it and they kept yep. doing it. And, and this game has survived. Uh, this league has survived because a lot of players love playing the game. You get, you get, you get myself. That's a car salesman. You get teachers, you get, um, business people, whatever it is, firefighters, cops showing up on Monday morning with stitches and, and black eyes and crutches. And you're like, wait a minute, you left work on Friday and you had nothing. What are you doing? Right. And you know, you're showing up, but you're showing right back up to work on Monday morning, no matter how tired or bagged you were, beat up you were, you were there back to work because you were teaching kids and selling cars and putting out fires and all these other things. And that's, that's just because you love that game so much. You were prepared to do, what you had to do to go play. That's a good one. That's a um, good one, Fred. I mine. Uh, I like I, mine's a mine's a two part episode, um, and it all really revolves around one player, and that's Chris Sanderson. Um, we're gonna start at the '98 World Games with the uh, the greatest lacrosse game nobody saw ever, and ever played. Ever. Uh, what is twelve one in the fourth quarter? And you guys come back, tie it up, force overtime. Uh, JT should have passed uh, Tommy Marichuk on the crease to win it. I know, but probably should have done it anyway. Um, and then part two is Chris Sanderson playing in the 2010 uh, in, in England. And yep. just the story around that and everything that he went through to get there and everything that he put himself through to get there against everything that the doctor said he shouldn't be doing. Um, Chris Sanderson is the epitome of what a lacrosse warrior is. And I think his story truly needs to be told. And I think it works perfectly with a 30 for 30 on that game in Baltimore because there are so many people that were a part of that game as players and thousands more that were in the stands that night 
And I was a kid in Victoria, watched with all my buddies at a bar. We took over the bar. They had NASCAR on. We had one TV. By the end of the game, every TV was on the game. Nobody knew, but we all experienced that moment. And we all remember that. And I will still not watch overtime of that game because I just want it to end in a tie. <laughs> well, it just gave me chills because I, I watched that game for the sidelines. It certainly wasn't as much fun when I got pulled out after the first quarter and never saw the field again. But Well, Gilly junior, was better than you. No question. <laughs> no question. But uh, uh, John Grant and I both get pulled at the same time and watch the game together. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, we, we don't come back. And, yeah, JT like, hit the post. And, Taffer you know, was – Rodney Tapp was absolutely phenomenal in that fourth – like that – you talk about what guys like Trevor Baptiste can do and Greg Renlin can do, like all these stud face-off guys that are out there now. Tapper was just on a different level that game. Tapper was on a different level, but, but that game took a turn when um, they took Peter Jacobs out and uh, they put the kid from North Carolina, and I can't remember his name, Ryan Wade. Yeah, and Ryan Wade ended up going in and taking faceoffs, and he hadn't taken faceoffs the whole tournament, and and he starts winning in the overtime. You know, like there was three or four faceoffs near the end of the game, right? And man, craziness! But uh, could have won it with a with his with a loose ball off that faceoff right at the, the end. Ball, yeah, long yeah. Like I said, that that game. There's still not like a really good copy of that game. I'm sure like there's people who have it, but like there's not a good audio no. quality copy of that game online anywhere like no. but that that's a game that people need to watch and sit back and just marvel at that game because the guy that has the game is Luke Belsmo and and it exists and um, I mean you can see it if you uh, if you google it on YouTube oh, like it's, it's on there it's just a yep. crappy copy it's not a broadcast quality yeah. game but uh, it, it certainly uh, was a special experience for us Freddie we were there and yep. and uh that whole at least, hey, at least, was, at least, we both can say we were on the bench with John Grant Jr. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, anyway, look, fellas, appreciate it. Uh, love having this brother group on. on. You're the 100%. second brother group, but uh, uh, still the number one, though. Still the number that? one in your heart, right? Number one in my heart. That's um, absolutely. absolutely excited that uh, you guys took some time. Appreciate it, and. Man, fellas, keep doing what you're doing. Freddie, I know you're, yep. you're teaching a ton of girls the game and you're yeah. doing so many good things in British Columbia and Victoria and coaching, coaching lacrosse. And, and, Teddy, you're setting a gold standard as far as I'm concerned for play-by-play -play and, and, and telling great stories in our league and, 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 you know, grinding away as a media guy. You guys are both huge contributors to our game of lacrosse, and I greatly appreciate it and thank you for doing that. No problem. And I, I think you said it. I mean, you know, Ted knows this stuff of all the lacrosse uh, that's happened right now, but you asked me about, uh, you know, 16, 17 year old uh, female field lacrosse players in BC and Canada and boys that are 14 years old. That's where my bed and butter is, man. This, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, we all, we all believe it, that that's where, that's where the game really is truly fun is at the youth, youth levels. And that's where we can uh, make our biggest impact. And that's where I'm having a lot of fun coaching, coaching girls, coaching boys and, uh, and bringing that passion back to them. So I appreciate you and all that you've done for me in my game and uh, my career and my time playing for, uh, for you. And uh, I'll give you the opportunity here on, uh, on TFL because I am a TFL. <laughs>
Can we get shirts that say that I am a TFL? Yeah. Well, the only problem is you got to you got to have my picture on your T-shirt. So, my son who has I can wear it on. If you make it shorts, I can wear your face on my ass. Then we're talking. <laughs> my my son has a T-shirt that just has his picture, like his head, on his T-shirt, and he's smiling. I'm like. You have a T-shirt. He comes home from college with his own T-shirt, his own face on his own T-shirt. I said, how do you do that? And he, and he wears it. Like, he legitimately wears his own face on a T-shirt. He's a govet. Like, Come on, man. He's a govet. <laughs> he's a govet. He's a TFL in his own right, let me tell you. Yeah, he's a good kid. He is a TFL. He's a college TFL. Um, but let me tell you, I'll make merch next time. I make a run of merch. You got to watch my my uh, cooking show. Oh, I see yeah, it. You're the face. Oh, I have the whole line of merch coming for the cooking. You're show. the face of the Seals franchise, man. Like you are the guy when it comes. That's to bad. Seals, That's a bad thing. I know. Like you got to <laughs> let other people start cooking. <laughs> hey, fellas, love you. Appreciate you being on. Thank you Thank so you. much. We'll talk Thanks. to you soon. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Buddy. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Gov.